From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, TVT at 3, Part 2. I think the TVT study results certainly make surgeons, myself included, more comfortable in doing tube shunt surgery in a population of patients that are less refractory than have historically had tube shunt surgery. First this. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Today's podcast is part two of my interview with Steve Getty about the new TVT tube versus trabeculectomy study three-year results. We pick up where we left off last time. Steve, how did complications compare between the tube and trabeculectomy groups, and what sort of complications were observed? At least in the three-year paper, we, we divided uh, postoperative complications into early and late postoperative complications. And early postoperative complications were defined as those occurring in the first month uh, postoperatively. The most common uh, early postoperative complications that occurred in the study were uh, choroidal effusions, shallowing of the anterior chamber, and these um, are, are really quite common after both glaucoma procedures that were under study, um, namely trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgery. And I think a, a similar high rate of these uh, types of complications were also observed in the collaborative initial glaucoma treatment study. This is another, as you know, multi-center randomized clinical trial. So I think one take-home message is if you really look for these types of postoperative complications, they occur quite commonly. Now, it also turns out that in most cases, these are self-limited and transient complications that really don't require any um, treatment, certainly not any surgical attention. One of the complications that actually was significantly more common in the trabeculectomy group compared with the tube group were wound leaks. And um, none of the other complications that we encountered in the early postoperative period occurred with greater frequency in one group uh, compared to the other. In other words, they occurred with similar frequency in both, in both treatment groups. However, the total number of patients that experienced one or more early postoperative complication was significantly greater in the trabeculectomy group compared with the tube group. Now, we also looked at late postoperative complications. Again, those are ones that occur at least a month after surgery. Uh, dysesthesia was one complication that was significantly more common in the trabeculectomy group, and blood leaks, um, not surprisingly, were more common in the trabeculectomy group compared with the tube group as well. There weren't any um, complications that were more common in the tube group, um, although there was a trend towards diplopia and 
I guess, tube erosions, no, no big surprise there. We can't have a tube erosion, obviously, in the trabecularctomy group. But those, there was a tendency for those to, to be more common in the tube group, but the rate of occurrence was still so low that, that there was no statistically significant difference between the two groups, nor was there any significant difference in the total number of patients that had uh, late uh, post-operative complications um, between the two treatment groups. Steve, we spoke earlier about reoperations for glaucoma. What I want to talk about now is reoperations for complications. The complication rate was significantly higher for the TRAB group, but the reoperation for complication rate was a lot higher in the tube group. Does this mean that the tube group had more serious complications? Well, actually, um, Josh, uh, the rate of reoperation for complications was, um, I think there were 15 patients in the tube group and nine patients in the trabeculectomy group. Um, and that difference actually wasn't statistically significantly different. So it actually was a similar rate of reoperations for complications with both treatment groups. So not statistically different. Um, uh, although, I, I guess a let's say weak trend towards higher reoperations for complications, and we actually I think you've keyed in on an important point here. All complications obviously are not equal in severity, and we talked about some of the more common ones: shallowing of the anterior chamber and choroidal effusions are are sure are are complications in the in the fair number of patients experience them. But, you know, these are transient self-limited ones, that, and so in many ways, who really cares? We, we define serious complications as those that required a trip back to the operating room to manage the complication and or if they were associated with vision loss, um, namely loss of two or more smell and lines of visual acuity. And if you look at the rate of um, serious complications between the two groups, um, there was no significant difference between the two treatment groups. The mean intraocular pressure at three months was similar in the two groups, despite the fact that there was a higher treatment failure rate in the TRAB group. Now, is this because the TRAB group not only had more patients with intraocular pressures above target and failing that way, but also more hypotenuse and that things just sort of averaged out, and the fact that the mean in the two groups was similar belies the fact that uh, the, the, the TRAB group had many patients with undesirably high as well as undesirably low pressures. Right. So, okay, great, a great question, Josh. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it, that you could have one group that has a higher failure rate, yet the mean intraocular pressures and even the mean use of medications is not different between the two treatment groups. And I think it's related to two things. One is exactly what you just alluded to, that there were actually um, more failures because of inadequate pressure reduction in the trabeculectomy group, but there also were more failures because of hypotony and realized that even although the hypotony failures were, were contributed to the higher failure rate, they actually, in, in essence, reduced uh, 
the mean pressure and mean number of medications in the overall group. Probably even more important is that really the the proportion of patients that failed are still a relatively small proportion of the overall study group. So their contribution to the mean pressure and mean number of medications is is still relatively small. So that's I think the other uh, the other um, factor that helps to explain this kind of counterintuitive observation of higher failure rate but similar medication and similar levels of pressure between the two treatment groups. Steve, how broadly applicable are the data from the study, these findings? Do they apply only to this particular model of tube shunt and only to this particular trabeculectomy technique? You know, you bring up a good point, Josh, and you have to be really careful about extrapolating the results of a study, even a multi-center randomized clinical trial like this one, to dissimilar types of patients. So, so the answer is you have to be really careful. Um, you know, you have to look at the types of patients that were enrolled in the TVT study. They, they were, again, patients that had uncontrolled uh, low-risk glaucoma, not neovascular glaucoma, uveitic glaucoma, and had prior ocular surgery. And those patients had a specific type of operation, either a bare bulk glaucoma implant or trabeculectomy with a, a, that was had a standard dosage of uh, antifibrotic, namely minomycin C. So th- you can't really extrapolate the results to, for example, patients that are having primary surgery that have never had um, previous ocular surgery or other higher risk uh, glaucoma types, neovascular glaucoma, or different implant types like the Ahmed or Maltino implant, um, or even uh, a different type of a trabeculectomy, a different dosage of uh, mitomycin C or use of a, um, an express implant, which in many ways I think is kind of an augmented trabeculectomy. Steve, did any demographic group benefit more from a particular technique? And from my reading of the paper, um, I, I'm particularly interested in your findings for patients who had had prior cataract surgery. You know, we we had, Josh, stratified patients into four different groups based on the type of previous ocular surgery. And we reported the results uh, according to those different strata. And uh, you, uh, again, have carefully looked at the uh, paper, and it is really rather striking that stratum one, which is the patients that had only had prior cataract surgery, seemed to have really the greatest treatment benefit of tube shunt surgery over trabeculectomy. However, you have to always be careful about kind of slicing and dicing data up too much. And, and, and actually, in a risk factor analysis, um, strata was really not a significant predictor of, of success and failure. So you have to be a little bit uh, careful about how you kind of slice up the data and, and all. Um, but um, that was one, one group where it was... Um, kind of striking um, uh, the significant benefit of 
tube shunt surgery over trabeculectomy. And, and it's really interesting to me that that is the, in many ways, the lowest risk a type of group that was enrolled in the study. I mean, these are patients that never even had glaucoma surgery and in many ways are the most dissimilar from those that have traditionally had a drainage implant surgery. And I'll tell you that was part of the reason that we launched another multi-center randomized clinical trial that is um, randomizing unoperated eyes. So these, this is primary surgery to in, in low-risk glaucoma, like primary open-angle glaucoma, pseudo-exfoliation glaucoma, et cetera, to receive either a Beervelt implant or a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C. Now, we're using a lower dosage of mitomycin C, uh, um, 0.4 milligrams for two minutes instead of four minutes in that group. But I think that'll be a very interesting study. We're still in a recruitment phase, but it'll, I think, yield some valuable information in the future. Now, this is the PTVT study, the primary tube versus trabeculectomy exactly, study. Exactly, yes. The primary TVT study. Exactly, Josh. Steve, what do you do in your own practice now that you've learned all this stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, for me, Josh, it certainly um, it makes me feel m- more comfortable about um, recommending tube shunt surgery in patients like those that were enrolled in the TVT study. So if somebody's had just prior a cataract extraction, um, in most cases, um, I, I tend to favor a tube shunt. And I'll tell you, at, at the time that this study was designed, I really didn't know what was the best operation. And again, that's why I felt very comfortable with randomizing patients to each of these two different, different treatments. Um, I will say that I feel very comfortable doing both operations, as was the case in every investigator in the study. And so, but, so that may or may not be true of other glaucoma surgeons, and that certainly needs to be taken into consideration. Now, a surgeon may feel really comfortable doing a trabeculectomy, but maybe has less experience and feels less comfortable doing tube shunt surgery, and that certainly needs to be factored in. And and in that case, um, the surgeon may may choose to do a trabeculectomy, and I think that's a perfectly, perfectly acceptable, uh, and, and vice versa as well. Some people feel much more comfortable doing tube shunt surgery. So it is interesting, Josh, that, um, you know, at the time that the TVT study was designed, if you asked uh, members of the American Glaucoma Society, and this actually was done, what you know, percentage of people would be doing tube shunt surgery and what percentage would be doing trabeculectomy surgery in patients like in the TVT study. And and for patients that had only prior cataract surgery or only prior failed filtering surgery, about 95% of AGS members would do a trabeculectomy with mitomycin C in that situation. That same exact survey, which was originally um, distributed to AGS members by Phil Chen in 1996, again, around the time the TVT study, you know, shortly before it got underway. That same survey was recently distributed by Manishi Design, and it turns out that in 2008, um, 
about 50% of glaucoma specialists would do a trabeculectomy still, and about 50% would be doing tube shunt surgery. And I think clearly there was a shift in practice patterns even before the tube versus trabeculectomy results ever became known. But I think I think the TVT study results do actually support that uh, shift in practice patterns and certainly make surgeons, myself included, more comfortable in doing tube shunt surgery in a population of patients that are less refractory than have historically had tube shunt surgery. Steve Getty, thank you so much. Okay, Josh, great to talk with you. Thanks, thanks for the invitation again. Steve Getty is Professor of Ophthalmology and Residency Program Director at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine in Miami, Florida. His paper, Three-Year Follow-Up of the Tube versus Trabeculectomy Study, appears in the August 2009 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Getty or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.